Welcome to the next episode of In China Between Meetings with your host Marian Danko, aka China Hustler. We talk about innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship. This series of interviews brought to you by We Hustle, a Shanghai-based platform for innovation and technology, helping international and local teams succeed in China. And today, I'm welcoming Eric uh, uh, Valencia Slave, who is uh, CEO of IoT One, and also uh, director of Startup Grind uh, Shanghai chapter and also a part of the Technology and Innovation uh, Committee of uh, American Chamber of Commerce. Uh, welcome, Eric. Yeah, thanks. Uh, happy, to, happy to have this chat, Marian. Thanks for inviting me on. Um, you also a husband and father. Having all these titles uh, come with um, responsibilities and commitment. Mm. Um, I think there are lots of founders who are trying to understand how to manage the time. So can you give a couple of examples? How do you manage your time? Uh, you mentioned before that you also don't use much WeChat and LinkedIn, and I guess you have some other social media as well. Um, what time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? So can you share some useful tips and uh, healthy habits to manage your time properly? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, when I was in uh, management consulting before, the firm was called... Um, uh, applied value, AV, and we would call ourselves the AV SEALs, like the Navy SEALs, and the Navy SEALs are you know, hard workers, right? And, and that was the mentality, it was um, you work hard, you play hard, and regularly you'd be on a project and you would be up until 6 a.m., you know, 7 a.m., because you have to hit a deliverable. And, and my mentality now is that, that that doesn't work, right? You burn out. It works if you have to hit a deliverable, right? But it doesn't work for the long term, and, and I think entrepreneurship is, uh, it's not a sprint. Okay, just a little hello from the police. Um, but um, yeah, so anyways, um, it's, a, it's really a marathon, right? And so for me, the critical things are um, simplify where you can and then have consistency. And so simplify means my life is, you know, getting married, having a kid, to some extent, it allows you to simplify your life. I know I'm, I'm going to work, I'm going home, gonna put my kid to bed, got another hour or two to maybe answer some emails, do some work at night, and I'm going to bed by 10.30. I have an alarm clock, which is my baby, so he wakes up pretty much you know, 6, 6.30 every day, he gets me up, and, and that's my schedule. Um, and it's extremely uh, consistent, right? I, I don't have all-nighters, I've you know, got a wife, I'm not going out on dates, I'm not going partying, so, so my life is pretty simple there. Um, and then in terms of you know, um, time management, um, yeah, it's uh, putting your phone away. Right? I mean, these are kind of simple things, but um, you often don't reflect on how many times you check WeChat during the day, and that's really a, a distraction, right? It's a t huge time waster if you're trying to focus on something and all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, what's happening on WeChat? Do I need to reply to this? So just minimizing um, distractions has been really a focus of mine these past uh, past couple of years. Great, thank you. Um, where are you coming from? Where, where did you grow up? And uh, did you have any links to China before you came actually to China? Yeah, um, no, I'm from Portland, Oregon, West Coast, US, beautiful city, but uh, zero links to China. I mean, I, I didn't think about China until um, I was just coming back from Central America. I think I, I'd graduated. I was maybe 22, went to a party, and somebody mentioned that they had just come back from China and, and how interesting it was. And, and I thought, okay, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just got back from Central America, no plans. 
um, let's let's see what China looks like. Um, so that was how I, I kind of first came over here, but I had no no expectations, no connections, not not much of a plan to be honest at that point. Just an interest. Interesting. And uh, how did you end up in China? What was your China story? Where did you uh, come here? What did you do first? Yeah, it was um, it was not a very strategic entry to be honest. I, I found a university that would um, would basically pay for my flight and uh, and you know give me a salary. It happened to be based in a, a suburb of Nanjing, um, and so I was there. It was supposed to be a year contract. Six months into it, uh, winter hit pollution, cold. I was in the suburbs where it was like me and a few other kind of oddball, uh, you know, teachers, guys that are 45 and, you know, got kicked. One, one guy got kicked out of Thailand after, you know, <laughs> you can imagine what it takes to get kicked out of Thailand. Uh, so anyways, uh, I, I stayed for six months and then I said, okay, China's super interesting. The suburbs of Nanjing are not the place for me. Um, and then I, you know, I popped over to Korea, spent some time in Nepal, spent some time in Japan, just having to look mm. around. But I had in mind, uh, to come back to China. And maybe in reflection, I, I kind of wished instead I'd just come straight to Shanghai. But I, you know, I, I think when you're young, you experiment and it takes some time to figure out where your interests are. Interesting. So what was your first job in China when you come back again? Yeah, so when I came back, I was doing an MBA over at George Washington University in D.C. Mm -hmm. They had a partnership with Fudan and I was, I was doing a dual degree, MBA and MA. Um, so it was three years and I, I basically um, you know, talked a couple professors into letting me do... Um, research projects, you know, for, for credit. And so I, I, I spent about a year and a half, uh, you know, about half that time at Fudan and half that time doing independent research. And I started working with uh, Applied Value, this uh, management consultancy at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so that was it. So I, I worked with them while I was doing my MBA. When I finished my MBA, I stayed on and uh, ended up running the office there uh, here in, in China for a few years. Mm -hmm. So before we dive uh, into IoT One, your current company that you founded, did you have any prior uh, entrepreneurial experiences before um, starting uh, with IoT1? Um, yes, I had one um, extremely unsuccessful experience. So, um, yeah, I, I started up a company that was, you know, the, the premise was uh, parents in China pay a tremendous amount of money getting their kids into college, and then kids graduate from college, and often they're not very well positioned for the professional world. Right? Um, so I thought, okay, there's a, there's a need there. Um, to help company, you know, especially you know, kids that are graduating and want to go into management consulting, uh, finance, you know, these types of fields. Um, can I then source people that are working in these fields to um, you know, weekends, uh, evenings to train uh, students on how, you know, how can you get my job? You know, whether it's, uh, you know, here's the interview process or here are the financial skills that you need to learn. Um, that was the premise. And um, I think the premise makes sense still, but there was a couple problems on the sales side. And that's where I realized that it's not just around, you know, does your service kind of you know, make sense, but you really have to think through what are your sales channels, mm -hmm. um, you know, who are your customers, who's the buyer and who's the customer. So here the buyer was the parent. The parent might be in Hefei, right? Mm -hmm. Might be in, you know, probably not in Shanghai, actually. Um, and of course, the, 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 the users, the customers were here in China, they were the students. Um, so I had a double sale. First, I had to convince the students this was interesting, mm -hmm. and then I had to convince them to convince their parents to, right. to fork up money. That was challenging. And then the other issue was that the sales channel were the universities. So I had to gain access to universities, which worked for about six months. And then uh, there was a decision coming down from Beijing that there's a little bit too much foreign influence on universities, and they became um, much less uh, open to having mm -hmm. foreigners come on right. and, and give um, you know give seminars. So that 
basically, I already had a challenging um, sales cycle and that killed my channel. And that was pretty much the end of the business, which was a good thing. It allowed me to make a very clear decision about 10 months in, this is not working, uh, let's kill it. Fortunately, I still had a good relationship with this uh, consultancy. So I, I got in touch with them and they said, yeah, we have some projects. Um, I said, okay, I'll, you know, I've got some time. So uh, they, they brought me back on for about eight more months, a couple interesting projects. And then I, I yeah, jumped out again. I don't know if they, I, actually, they, they invited me out to dinner a couple years ago. So I suppose they, no hard feelings there, but, um, uh, but uh, yeah, that was, that was a quick failure. But uh, I think a lot of learning also. Lots in that of failure. learning. Yeah. That's good. And uh, what was the trigger that you realized, okay, the IoT might be a big thing or it's already a big thing. And then you start thinking about opening up um, IoT one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. This was, um, it was one of the last projects I was doing with Applied Value. We were working with a solar company uh, in the States and um, cost reduction. So how can we take you know, $100 million out of, out of OPEX? Um, and um, we were looking at every aspect of their organization, but um, we were really, uh, there were, there were, it became obvious that there were big um, questions or big aspects of their business that hadn't been reviewed before. Um, things like, um, how do we do quality assurance on solar panels as they come off the line, right? So we were looking at the traditional things. Can we, can we reduce, you know, can we offshore, can we, um, uh, negotiate down component prices and so forth. Um, can we cut headcount, you know, in management, have fewer layers of management, which are very traditional ways to, you know, if you want to cut cost. Um, but then we look at the, um, the quality assurance line and we see, okay, you've got about 40 people that are just looking at these black panels as they come off the production line. And they're trying to see that, are there too many little dots there? Is that swirl a little bit too large? You know, so they're trying to make a very subjective decision of mm -hmm. whether this should pass quality or not. Mm. And that's an extremely difficult job for a human to make, right? How do you decide if a swirl is a little bit too large or, or not? Um, and it's a very tedious job that nobody wants to do. So there's a high turnover, not, you know, not very good employee satisfaction. Nobody wants to do this job. Um, and then you say, well, this is actually a great job for computers to do. Right? Mm -hmm. they, they don't get bored. Uh, they're really good at determining whether a swirl is too big or too small. Um, and so uh, that, was, that was a case where machine vision was just an obvious uh, solution. But this company, despite having a lot of PhDs, a lot of really smart people, um, they'd never looked in this, this domain because it was outside of their expertise. And that, that was the realization for me that um, you have this new domain, which is um, you know, kind of industrial or digital technologies. And the majority of companies in the world, even if they have a tremendous amount of domain expertise in their core competence, they don't really know anything about this domain, and there was a there was a big uh, knowledge gap there. So, so you know that was the the kind of the the realization for me that this is something interesting. Before that, I'd already been personally interested in the technologies. Mm -hmm. So then it was a good match of okay, there's obviously some business opportunity here, and I have a strong personal interest, and in, and I was able to put those together through IoT One. And uh, how did you actually start the company? Did you bootstrap or you had the partners or you had uh, some initial capital that you inject in the company? Yeah, so um, actually at that point, my intent was not to start a company, right? Mm -hmm. I just burned through all of my, um, all of my savings, also through all of Mia's savings, my, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now. Um, so <laughs> I was, uh, actually didn't have too much of an appetite for starting up a new company and I had no cash basically. Um, so I started applying, I said, okay, 
I have a consulting background. I need to learn more about this space. How can I do that? So I started applying to headhunters and saying, hey, I'm interested in working with this handful of companies, you know, Alibaba Cloud, da-da-da. Um, so I, you know, I basically outlined what I'm interested in, and one of them called back and said, um, hey, you know what, I'd, we'd like to have a call with you. I said, okay, fair enough. Um, and during the call, it became obvious that they were not you know, vetting me for a potential client. They were, they were assessing me as a potential business partner. So mm-hmm. they, at the same time, had a similar um, intuition. You know, for, they saw from their, their standpoint that their clients who are, um, they have a, an executive recruiting business so, uh, that does kind of VP through China Head. Um, and they said, okay, this is obviously the top priority or one of the top three priorities for senior executives. There's something really important going on here. Um, it was also a case where they had a, you know, kind of a personal interest in the topic as well. Um, and so they said, we want to do something in this area and we need uh, somebody to run the business because they're running their existing businesses. Um, and, and that was how it, how it uh, basically got kicked off. So we had three partners, myself, Michael and Trin. Uh, Michael and Trin put up the capital um, to get us off the ground. I put in the time. Um, Michael also operated kind of like a CMO. Uh, he's great network, uh, so he, he supported with uh, sales, still does. Uh, Chuen operates as our, our COO, so everything related to uh, back office, to IT, Chuen uh, manages, um, but they're both also running their, their existing businesses. So that, that was the original team, still looking today. Interesting. And um, can you describe what uh, IoT does do? What kind of clients do you serve at the moment? What kind of services do you provide? Yeah, sure. Um, so we are a, um, we're a consultancy. We focus on researching industrial IoT uh, domains and then helping companies to um, develop strategies and implement strategies. Uh, mostly we're working with um, you know, two groups. So one would be the larger multinationals, kind of the Fortune, I would say Fortune 2000 companies that have um, you know, $5 billion of revenue or more. Um, so they're a, a big um, uh, component of our um, our uh, clients, um, and for them, we're often doing somewhat more tactical work. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they want something, um, you know, like uh, strategy development, often they're going to go to McKinsey or BCG or so. Um, and then we also do a lot of work with what we'd call in Germany the hidden champions. So these are the companies that might have between a, you know a few hundred million euro revenue through a few billion euro. Uh, they're kind of best in class at what they do, but they're in kind of a, a particular niche. Um, and for them, we often do somewhat more strategic work. Um, those are the two big groups. We do some work for uh, investment firms, uh, VCs, PE firms, uh, and also with um, sometimes with startups. I mean, startups are not very important from a revenue perspective, but it's interesting working with them. Um, so those are the, the, main, yeah, the main clients. Um, we're just setting up our, new, our first product. So this mm-hmm. is uh, IoT uh, Learn and Do Sprint. So, I mean, it's basically a methodology that we could do on a one-off basis, but now we're productizing this. We formed a, a joint venture with uh, a German company that does e-learning, uh, mobile learning. So they're building the application um, and uh, managing the, the sales because we don't really, we're not a sales and marketing organization, right? We're, we invest a lot of time building relationships with people, but when you sell a product, you need a different approach. Um, so, so they're kind of managing that. We manage the domain expertise. So, so that's uh, going to launch. Um, I mean, we're already having conversations with people with uh, potential customers there, but it's basically launching in Q2. Um, yeah, that's our business today. Sounds good. Um, I would love to know a couple of challenges that you face as the foreign running business in mm. China. Yeah, well, I mean, 
China's a, a fairly friendly place for um, for foreigners as long as you're not doing things that the government doesn't want you to do. I mm -hmm. think we're we're not doing that, so that's okay. I mean, there are some challenges. Obviously, there's language challenges. Um, there are some challenges related to just um, being a foreigner. You can't. You know, you're supposed to be only working for one entity that um, is. Uh, you know, is uh, signed your contract and, and got you a work visa, so you're not supposed to be splitting time between multiple entities and so forth. Uh, so there's some issues that you just have to be aware of like that. But um, for me, that's not an issue. So um, I guess raising funds, um, if we wanted to do that, I think that's a little bit more challenging for foreigners. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some aspects of the business that are challenging if you want to like run a startup and, and you're trying to raise outside capital to scale rapidly that we don't really face at IoT One. So from our perspective, it's, um, it's okay. Um, we also don't have very much local competition. So most of our competition is really from other foreign companies. So we're, you know, if you're in that boat where maybe you're doing um, medical devices and you have some really strong local uh, competitors, I think you have another set of challenges that, again, we don't, we don't face. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you know, as, a, as a consultancy in this, uh, in this domain, um, I think it's, it's okay, actually. Uh, we, we don't really face any uphill battle, you know, aside from the, the general battle of uh, struggle of running your own business. Right, right, that, that's good positioning. And um, coming back to the IoT uh, sector, mm -hmm. So you have offices as well outside of China, right, as IoT One? Yeah, we set up in Munich last year. Mm -hmm. And um, can you just think about some um, challenges and opportunities in IoT in China? And then if you compare um, IoT trends in China and outside of the world, are there any differences where the whole industry is moving? Yeah, sure. Um, so China's a super interesting market because over the past 30 years, they've built up this incredible asset base, right? The, the, factory of the world so you have a huge asset base and um, the assets are often not very efficient so they're not being utilized particularly well um, and that's for iot actually a great opportunity because it means that the the next 30 years is probably not going to be putting in more physical infrastructure there's already uh, over capacity in some markets but it's going to be looking at how can we use software sensors um, you know to um, better understand the infrastructure and run it more efficiently um, so there's a really a unique opportunity here. There are some challenges. So if we're looking at Germany, for example, mm -hmm. you've got a workforce probably on average, you know, if you look in a factory, um, 45 years old, 15 years of, you know, work experience in the factory, um, probably a college degree, you know, at least mm -hmm. two years of college. Um, so you have a fairly experienced and well-educated workforce. If you look in China, um, maybe much higher uh, turnover than in Germany. Um, so less experience, uh, younger workforce, uh, likely they don't have college experience. Um, so there's certainly some challenges in terms of technology adoption. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, that's a, big, uh, a big issue. Uh, often simplicity is more important here, whereas in Germany, maybe you know, products might be over-engineered for, mm. um, you know, they're, let's say they're engineered to the specs that are expected in Germany. They come to China. And it's over-engineered. It's it's more complicated than it needs to. That complexity adds cost, and so the product doesn't fit the market here very well. So that's that's pretty typical. Um, but um, yeah, you have I, I think really significant opportunities here. So in manufacturing, um, when you look at also uh, sustainability, um, um, this is a huge priority for the Chinese government right now. And this is another area where IoT is very relevant. Right, mm -hmm. understanding how we use energy, 
uh, understanding where pollution is and how we can improve uh, control of pollution points. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity here that I think to some extent it maps to the global trends, but because of China's scale and, and because of their history, they have unique challenges which then become opportunities for technology providers. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And uh, let, let's uh, make a step back and mm. uh, look at the time when you start running a Startup Grind Shanghai chapter. It's been already mm. for quite a few years. I, I joined three years ago and I think uh, before that you've been running already for uh, three years um, or so. Um, why did you start running the uh, chapter? Um, so what was the, was the reason behind it? Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit similar to um, you know, how I set up uh, IoT1, I didn't intend to start running Startup Grind mm -hmm. here, right? I I was just looking for interesting communities to join. I knew that I wanted to join a community around entrepreneurship so that I could meet more entrepreneurs and learn around, uh, you know, about this topic, right? Um, so I scanned, I think, what's the website that nobody uses anymore? Um, the one that, uh, that WeWork bought. Um, Anyways, I scanned different communities. I found um, Startup Grind, and I saw that they had, on the one hand, maybe 50 people registered on this platform uh, in Shanghai. So I said, oh, there's a community here that's interested in this, but nope, they've never had any events. So I wrote mm -hmm. to uh, Derek Anderson, the founder, and I said, hey, Derek, why have you never hosted any events in, in Shanghai? I think there's a lot of interest here. And he said, hey, why don't you host an event? So it was a little bit of a trap there. Um, I fell into the trap. Um, at the same time, uh, a guy named Albert Young had also communicated with them. So he said, hey, there's somebody else named Albert who's interested. Why don't you guys have coffee? I met Albert, great guy. We're, we're still friends today, although he's moved back to L.A. Um, so we said, let's set it up together. We, we then pulled Mia in, my, you know, my girlfriend, and at the time, my wife now. So got her involved. Then all of a sudden, we had three people on the team. And we started setting up events. And uh, it was stressful at the beginning, right? Um, We'd get out of events with a box full of things that we would bring, you know, just whatever, paper and drinks and stuff. And, uh, you know, at that time there was no, no DD, so you'd be looking for a taxi at 11 p.m., super tired from running your business, making no money. And so it was stressful, but it was always super, you know, in, you know I mean, I, I always loved the events. I met super interesting people. I learned a lot from people. Um, so it was, a, it was a great experience. So when was it? It was back... 2012. 2012. Yeah. So it's been already eight years. Yeah. yeah, yeah was it the yeah. first chapter in uh, China? Or no, I, I, think, um, I think either Shenzhen or Guangzhou was the first chapter, and that was about a year earlier than us. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's super interesting. Yeah. If, if uh, someone doesn't know about Startup Grand, please do check out. It's an amazing community, lots of support. Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, many chapters mm. in China. And before I draw you to the next meeting, um, Eric, what is the innovation for you? How do, how do you define it? Oh, what is innovation? Yes. I mean, I think for me, innovation is just um, finding a, an unmet need and, and it's solving that need in a new way so you know when that can be a, a technical solution it can be a business model solution it can be a service it can be a way of delivering a service but it's just saying okay somebody has a need in the world some group of people have a need and for whatever reason that needs not being met sufficiently now and I, I think I have an idea about how I can solve that and that's innovation and if you do that well you can you can create a business out of it um, so sometimes innovation gets a, for me a little bit too tied up with um, technology um, and I tell my clients this as well, right? I mean, if you, if you need to use the most cutting edge technology to solve a problem, great. But uh, if you don't need to, then why do it, right? Find, find the solution that works. 
Um, so that's, that's how I think of innovation. Thank you. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you very much for sharing. Very useful, very interesting tips. Um, that was uh, In China Between Meetings episode with Eric uh, Valencia Slave. Please do subscribe to our channels on YouTube and uh, uh, WeChat and stay tuned for the next episode.